On the ground, it's Peterson into some space. Inside the 10, he'll take it for six. Touchdown, Vikings. What is up, Football Nation? It is the Football Nation Presents the Sportscasters Podcast, episode 11 already, June 12, 2012. Uh, we've got a great show for you lined up today. We have an interview with Ian Rappaport from NFL.com. The NFL Network is going to make his debut on the podcast today. Looking forward to chatting with Ian. Ian kind of covers the middle of the country. We're going to talk to him a little bit about some stuff he's been following with the Vikings some Adrian Peterson news, and also some stuff on their stadium. Talked to him a little bit about the Cowboys, and also he's been really spent a lot of his offseason kind of covering what's been going on with the Saints. We'll try to get to the bottom of this new offer that the Saints have made, Drew Brees, apparently. Uh, (laughs) But uh, Rappaport will be on after we do three things, be the interview for today. Before we get to that, I want to remind you, last week we had Paul Kuharski, the AFC South blogger for ESPN.com on, and we covered all four teams in the division. I thought he had great information about all four teams, Titans, Texans, Colts, and Jaguars. So if you want to check that out, you can search us at footballnation.com, or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Uh, Either way works great for us. Um, I want to thank everyone who's uh, been listening to the show so far. But, Don, what did you think of uh, Paul last week in terms of the information he had? Did you, did you kind of like focusing on a one division like that? Yeah, we talked a little off the air about how maybe that's not the most exciting division or at least not the most relevant in terms of uh, competitive teams through history, I guess. It's not the most historically. It's usually been the Colts and then the other three teams. Right. But that said, it's the Andrew Luck division now. Uh, Houston might be the class of the AFC, if not for Matt Schaub getting hurt last year. So I, I like the format in general and just kind of going around the league that way, and we're hoping to do that in the next couple months. Well, maybe just to kind of give the listeners an idea, we kind of talked off the air today about almost we made a little bit of a roadmap for ourselves, and uh, this is kind of what we have planned. We're going to do the show today. It's kind of like a normal show. We have I think a great guest in Ian Rappaport. Next two shows, we're going to focus on fantasy football. We have confirmed and booked next week Michael Fabiano from NFL.com, the NFL Network, all the great fantasy work they do. Michael Fabiano is going to join us next week, episode 12. That'll be episode 13. We'll have Jay Clemens, who used to do fantasy stuff for SI.com and SI. Now he does it for Bleacher Report and the National Football Post. Don and I were actually in one of his pro leagues last year, so we'll talk fantasy football for the next two weeks uh, with Michael Fabiano and Jay Clemens. And then the week after that is actually 4th of July week, and we're going to do something different and try to get a player. And then the week the, the week after that, Kerry J. Byrne, who's the guy who kind of started this show, is going to make his debut, and then we're going to kind of go from there maybe get some more of the bloggers. So looking ahead, that's kind of what we're looking at, uh, but... Really, before we can get anywhere, we have to do three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. 
Street. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. Steve mentioned right off the top that last week we had on Paul Kuharski, and he mentioned kind of the, about the MJD holdout situation that he didn't think MJD had any leverage, really. That's a direct quote, I think. He think he directly said, MJD doesn't have any leverage. And I don't know if I should have followed up with that or what, but because I hate to disagree with a guy that's not on the air now, but I kind of disagree. Um Anyway, my first thing this week is MJD, it's official, will not report to minicamp, so he's now officially a holdout. Uh, minicamp is not voluntary. It is mandatory. I believe it's three days long, something like that. And he's set to lose something in the area of sixty grand if if he doesn't report. Wow. Um, but, yeah, MJD, we were talking just off the air, and we've mentioned it on the air before, too, that he might be one of the most underrated players ever, uh, This especially the season he had last year. He run the rushing title with nobody on offense. Uh, everybody knew they were going to run the ball. Gabbert got beat up on national TV by guys like John Gruden, who doesn't beat up anybody for not throwing the ball down the field. So defenses knew they had to stop the run, and they still couldn't stop him. If they want to see what they have in Gabbert this year, they have to surround him with some talent. Letting MJD sit out isn't the way to do that. So No. And, you know, mentioning him being underrated, I completely agree. I mean, if you think right from his draft, he was drafted in 2006. Reggie Bush was the second overall pick that year. There was also other uh, players drafted. J- Joseph Adai comes to mind. It was a first-round pick in that draft. MJD wasn't a first-rounder at all. He, he had to wait till the second round. So, I mean, he was underrated then. Right. You know, and he's still underrated because... I think the Jaguars can easily fly under the radar. Sure, they had a couple of night games last year, but they're going to have even less this year. But what he means to that team, you, you could argue that what he means to the Jags is more than just about any player means to their specific team. I mean, he's so much of their offense. And with Gabbert being a question mark and now you know their draft pick, Blackman, having some trouble here initially, they really need his presence in the locker room and they definitely need him on the field. So... I think it'd be a big mistake if if they didn't get him in the fold, yeah, and he's got to th- be in there. I think that means he has leverage. Yeah, that that's what I would think. And like I said, I, I blame myself a little bit for not following up on that question, or that or that answer that he gave. But but yeah, I I think he does too. All right, one guy who doesn't have to worry about a lockout or a, a holdout or anything like that is uh, Rob Gronkowski. Uh, just who knows, Don? He could be ten minutes from us right now. Amherst, <laughs> he could be, yep. New York native. Signed the richest deal for a tight end in league history. Uh, it's actually it's an extension for six years at $54 million. Uh, the final $37 million is contingent on the Patriots picking up a $10 million club option by the final day of the 2015 league year, which would be February 28, 2016. The Patriots pass on the option. The team can't place the franchise tag on him, so that means he'd be a free agent. Um, including the first two years as rookie salaries, the total deal is at eight years, fifty-five point two three million and six point nine million average. With the two with the team option, it's basically two four-year contracts, um, eighteen point two three million through two thousand and fifteen, and then thirty-seven million 
from 2016 to 2019. So if you look at it like that, they're going to have to make a decision after the fourth year whether they're going to keep him for four more years. And based on his age, yeah, I imagine you would you would think he would. Uh, he might not see free agency until 2020 when wow. he'd be 31 years old. Wow. Uh, he's guaranteed to make 20 or $12 million, and another $5 million in 2015 is guaranteed against injury. And that's if he's on the roster on the fifth day of the 2015 league year. So there's a lot of kind of like if this happens and if that happens. But if you're Gronk, you're really young, and you're, you're really just entering your prime. So this isn't like the Redskins giving Bruce Smith an outrageous contract that they're going to bail out of after two years. Because, you know, then Bruce Smith is at the end of his career. This is a guy who's young. Uh, he had the greatest year potentially in, in uh, tight, tight end, end history, history last yeah. year. Him and Jimmy Graham. And I guess the second part of this, and we'll talk more with Ian about this later, is it's kind of a scary thing for Saints fans because Jimmy Graham's also on a rookie contract. It was a third-round pick contract similar to Gronkowski, and he's not just going to keep playing for, you know, Eight hundred grand or something, right? They're gonna have to address that, and with having to address Breeze, that gets a little scary. So, but Gronkowski, my uh, girlfriend, when he signed the contract, said, "Does he do a lot for the community here?" <laughs> and I said, "You know, I don't know, but this is the first time he's been paid, so we'll have to see if a yeah. Rob Gronkowski Foundation." Uh, springs around here in Buffalo, New York, or what happens with that? Yeah, let's hope so. Uh, my second story this week, not a big news from an on-the-field type reason, but he is a big name. Chad Ochocinco signs with the Dolphins for the league minimum. Again, it probably isn't overly football relevant. Uh, he probably has a decent shot of making that team. Yeah, they're not exactly overflowing with wide receiver no, talent. they're no. not the Bengals. I mean, the Bengals are a team that comes to mind. It's really deep at wide receiver. They might not have a lot of great ones. I mean, they have AJ Green at the top, but, I mean, they get pretty deep there. But, uh, yeah, the Dolphins, can you name three wide receivers on the team right now? No, not since they traded away. Uh, Marshall. Marshall, right. The only guy I could think of is the uh, the special team guy, the long hair. Holy Bass? cow. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they could use his help. He's not... I've never heard that he's a bad team guy. He kind of seems like a me-first guy as far as media goes. He loves the attention, but I don't think he would deny that. But he's not a bad team guy, so it's probably an okay signing for them. You had mentioned it makes uh, hard, knocks. hard Knocks a little bit more interesting. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, selfishly, as soon as I heard this, I saw someone tweeted, congratulations to HBO on the signing of uh, Ocho Cinco. You know, Peter King had a really interesting thing in his Monday morning quarterback column about how the first day Ocho Cinco was in New England, he got four steps on a cornerback and dropped a 60-yard bomb that Brady threw him. And in in Peter's opinion, he just never really got comfortable. The two of them never got comfortable. Um, But he also went to a spot where a quarterback had established relationships with players. In Miami, it's likely going to be a brand-new quarterback in Tannehill. Right. So Ocho Cinco has a chance to be the guy this year that Tannehill develops that camaraderie with, where he was going into an established place with an established quarterback. That could be, you know, a big help for him. And I and I'm looking at the Dolphins roster and at wide receiver. There's guys like Jeff Fuller and uh, Brian Hartline and Richard Matthews and Marion Moore. And 
you know, it's just it's it's not it doesn't overwhelm me there. So I think this is a good spot for him. It's where he's from, by the way. So he's you oh, know yeah, going yeah. home. He lives down there. So uh, yeah, good spot for Ocho Cinco and and good for all of us who love hard knocks and look forward to uh, seeing that. All right, my number two thing today: Andrew Luck finally arrived with the Colts, and it, it it's not that he didn't want to be there, but Tuesday was the start of the today started the team's mandatory minicamp, and based on league rules, today was the first day that Luck could join the Colts because of the school year at Stanford and how that is a trimester school instead of a semester school. So instead of them ending in May, they ended in June. A couple quotes from uh, Luck, who had his first practice today. He says, uh, I think the face of the franchise stuff, I don't approach anything like that. I try to come in here and learn as much as I can, do my best job so I can help these guys, these veterans, all the guys in here, get back to the playoffs, get back to being a great team and winning championships. I don't know if the franchise will ever, I don't know if being the franchise star will ever sink in. I'll just try to build up my job and never get caught up in anything else. So here's the thing about Luck. He just seems like the perfect guy in a way. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? He, he doesn't have these red flags that, that some guys have. And, um, you know, I, I think he's a guy that, that Colts fans are going to love. And it's going to be really interesting this year to see the top two picks. And, uh, you know, even the top the four first rounders, if you add Tannehill and Whedon into that mix. Sure. Yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see which of the four guys are, even if you want to just take it as Luck and Griffin, the way in the past we've done Manning and Leaf and Meyer and Bledsoe and... You know, those kinds of comparisons. But it'll be interesting to see how Luck can compete. And he's gotten a little bit of a later start here, but remember what Newton did and, and how late his start was because sure. of the lockout and all that. Right. So no big deal that he wasn't around in the month of May. Not at all. My last story this week is a feel-good story. And uh, from everything I've heard, I don't know him personally. It couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Sad story about the paralyzed Rutgers player. Everyone has heard that at this point. But Eric Legrand... Uh, Actually, is going to have jerseys made up by the Tampa Bay Bucks, the team that drafted him or signed him. They, I think it was sign, signing, signing after the draft. Right. Yeah. So good for the Tampa Bay Bucks. They're going to put his jerseys up for sale, and all the proceeds from the sales are going to go to the Eric Legrand Foundation. So, if you're a Bucks fan, you don't have necessarily a player in mind, and you want a jersey that's never going to get old because of free agency or anything like that, go get an Eric Legrand jersey. It's the same price as every other jersey out there. And all the money will go to help this kid and his family uh, get through a, a tough time here that they're having now. And you know what's cool is the the jerseys have switched over from Reebok last year to Nike. Right. So if you've been wanting to get one of the new Nike jerseys, and they do look pretty cool, there's some subtle changes for some teams, big changes for others. Uh, but this is a chance to, to get in there. And Eric, help is, a good cause, yeah. Eric is a special guy with a special story, and I'm not going to jinx anything, but I'll say this. We're working on it. Yep. Just leave it at that. All right, uh, last thing for three things today. My third thing is kind of a follow-up of a story that we we talked about last uh, week, and that was the league having a ride, a safe rides program. And we mentioned in the Blackman story, well, Don mentioned this last week, which was a good job by him, was that the Players Association had said that they were a little bit leery of the whole program because he thought that teams, teams were getting information them. and using them against them. Uh, Mike Freeman of CBSSports.com reported that the league's safe ride program, which provided free rides to players uh, who believe that they had too much to drink, has been disbanded. 
As Freeman explains it, the NFL handed the keys to the union in 2009 due to concerns that the league was using the service to spy on players. But per Freeman, the NFLPA didn't publicize the service, so fewer players used it, so the NFLPA eventually quit providing it. Now the function is provided, if at all, by the individual teams. So basically what we have is a program that was by the league that the Players Association got worried about based on spying. So the NFL said, here, you take it, NFLPA. Then the NFLPA didn't do much to say it existed, and it's it's gone away. And what we've had, which we, you could argue we might have had anyway, is some big names ending up with DUIs. Right. And I guess, you know, the, now it's on the teams. And if I ran a team... I would have it. Yeah, I don't you know, see- and I would have it where it was an independent company. You know, I might even have it. I, you can't really do reimbursement because then the player has to bring it to you, and, and you know that way. But I would try to find a way where I could, someone could set it up independently. You know, there's there's services out there for employers. Like I know where a, a spot where I used to work, there used to be this like number we could call. We could get free legal advice, and the company couldn't find out. Who got it? All they would find out is how many people use the service. Maybe something like that because the players need it. These players go out. They're young. They have a lot of money. They like to party. And it's that's fine. But we don't want to see what happened with Dante Stallworth happen to another player. So I know if I ran a team and I don't, I'd love to if anyone's interested in you know, staking me. <laughs> but uh, you know, I think it's something that the league needs more than it needs to go away. You know, so. Yeah, you don't want to. You definitely don't want to vilify players for using it, and that's what they kind of talked about. And you know, uh, I, the the source of this story initially is Mike Freeman from CBSSports.com, right. but the article that I was reading, it, it's Florio wrote about it on Pro Football Talk, and he has a really good last sentence of the article. I'm just going to read it to you, and he says, "Until the league, the union, and the teams come up with a viable and re- reliable solution, NFL players will have to act like the rest of us." Have the presence of mind to call a cab. Yeah. Uh, we hope they can afford the fare, which is a little dig he gets in at the end, which I don't know that was needed. But, yeah. Look, look, the players aren't without blame in this. Right. For sure. But, I mean, the, the teams could help themselves out. I mean, the, it doesn't look good for the Jaguars that uh, Blackman. Blackman has a DUI before football season's even started. So... Yeah, they gotta they gotta scratch each other's backs in that scenario. I have one extra thing here. We don't usually do this, but it was just something I found interesting, and it's not really long. But uh, the Ravens are gonna pay Terrell Suggs his full salary, and why that's interesting is because apparently he was playing basketball when he was injured, so they had a little bit of an out potentially. Right. Owner Steve Biscotti, Biscotti. I'm not sure how you say it. Uh, the Ravens owner. The Ravens owner. Good guy, I'm sure. Says I would be more upset if he hurt himself sleeping on the couch all off season. If our players are engaged in activities that get them in shape, then I'm p- proud of them for doing it. I, I don't know how I would feel about that as a fan. It, it's just an interesting uh, talking point, I guess. Would you rather your players be staying in shape in the off season, or the flip side, would you rather them s- staying safe? Well, I mean, there's been fluky injuries with players carrying groceries into their houses and stuff right. like that, and other sports. But- I can share. A personal story that is similar in a way. My brother is a D1 ice hockey player. And 
a couple of years ago, he was in the USHL, playing in the USHL, and he would come home for the summers, and he would skate a lot. He'd play a lot of hockey. Right. And he played some roller hockey for fun with me and my, my other brother. And my mom was always really excited to be able to watch Anthony play. My stepdad was always really scared about it. You know, he didn't like he didn't like Anthony putting himself at risk in his mind doing that, especially with weekend warriors. But Anthony and... would always say, "This is what they want us to do. Right. They don't want us to just go home and forget about hockey for 5 months." And I think that's what the Ravens owner is saying. We don't want our players to go home and forget about athletics for the offseason, which is long for football right. compared to other sports. In the grand scheme of things, too, I imagine – I mean, you can go down. If you listen to Jim Rome's show, they'll always make different jokes about uh, all the different – there's players that have been injured carrying groceries. There's a player that was injured eating Playing pancakes, video games. Playing video games. for the Tigers. I think someone tripped on their dog or something like that. So maybe in the grand scheme of things, injuries happen just as often for fluke reasons as they do for players staying in shape. And maybe – Maybe Suggs might have been healthier during the NFL season had he come through this uninjured because of keeping his body in shape through the whole offseason. I, I don't know. I, just, I get the feeling that you maybe would not want your players to do this if it was you. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure how I would. I don't know I would want him playing on an injury it, unless the doctor said that this is the best way to get this back in shape as fast as possible. But you said he was coming off an injury or coming off surgery or something like that. Suggs was, and I, it's a tough spot. Yeah, it, it's an interesting quote. I mean, it's great for the about, owner. He's doing and, the right thing. And think about how we kill players when we find out they're in camp out of shape and they get fat. Right. You know, so it's a tough spot for sure. A little extra there. All right, we're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back with Ian. Rappaport from NFL.com, the NFL Network, and we're going to talk to him about a bunch of stuff. And then we'll be back with This Week in Football Nation. So let's take a quick break. Our next guest is from Chapaca, New York, and is a graduate of Columbia University. He has covered the Alabama Tide for the Birmingham News and Mississippi State for the Jackson Clarion Ledger. Spent three years as a New England Patriots beat reporter for the Boston Herald. Today, he's a writer at NFL.com and a reporter for NFL Total Access on the NFL Network. Warm Football Nation and sportscasters, welcome to the very talented Ian Rappaport. How's it going, Ian? Man, you asked about the name and then you blew the hometown. Did I blow it? I had it phonetically written down. Chappaqua. Chappaqua. Hmm. Home of Bill Clinton, actually, or current residence of Bill Clinton. Oh, I see. It's in Westchester County, right? Exactly. What's going on, guys? Not much. What's going on with you? Uh, we're in Buffalo, um, beautiful Buffalo, <laughs> and uh, you know it's it's a weird time. It feels like in the NFL calendar, you know, and and with us doing this this weekly football specific show, it feels a little slow. But then when we reach out to different guys that are in the business covering the sport for places like NFL.com and and for the NFL Network, it still seems very very busy. What is this time of year like for you in terms of how it compares to other times in the year? Um, you know, it's this time of year is, is um, I guess it's sort of the same. You know, there really is no off-season. Uh, we know that. Uh, you know, I think probably the busiest time, you'd think it would be during the season, but it, it's really not. Um, you know, I say the week before the season, 
um, the week of free agency, the week before the draft. Um, and then this can be a really busy week, too, you know, because teams are signing contracts and cutting guys and sort of getting themselves in shape for, you know, training camp. So, you know, any last-minute business, uh, any contracts, any injury updates, you know, it's all kind of happening this week. And uh, for some teams next week, but really only a few teams, uh, you know, everyone's, everyone's kind of getting things ready for, for training camp. And, uh, you know, maybe by the end of next week we'll all get to go on a little vacation and then come back uh, ready to roll by late July. You know, you wrote about, and I think you were in Minnesota, and you wrote about the stadium and kind of how that's finally got done. And I, I remember it's just been about a few weeks ago where it seemed like that deal is dead. Tell us a little bit about how they took what seemed like a dead deal into finally getting uh, a stadium set and securing the Vikings' future in Minnesota. Well, um, you know, it's it's really crazy to think about, you know, you talk about the Viking stadium deal. You know, I was asking uh, Lester Bagley, who's sort of the, the VP of, of uh, stadium guru, Ing, or whatever his title is, um, you know, I was asking him about, you know, did you ever wonder if it was going to fail? And he said, well, it did fail nine times. Um, and it's really crazy to think about, you know, Ten years they went up and tried to get a stadium passed. Nine times it failed. And on the final time, it passed. And, you know, it's always interesting to me in the NFL how absolutely hard it is to win a Super Bowl, how many things need to go right, how many breaks the team needs to get. Um, you know, injury breaks, luck, uh, the draw, who gets knocked out before you. You know, it's, it's crazy how much goes into winning a Super Bowl. And this stadium thing was kind of the same thing to me. I mean... You know, how much goes into it, how much time, effort, planning, just to get, you know, just to get the votes to pass it. And now they got four years where they're going to have to build it, you know, and um, they haven't even started any of that. You know, they're, they still need to figure out who the architect is. Um, it, it's just amazing the amount of effort that went into it. But, you know, the fact that the Vikings really are one of the NFL's storied franchises, um, the fact that they get to stay home, is it's really a great thing, and you know, then they get to plan for the future. They get to, you know, redo their deal with, uh, you know, where they're going to have trading camp. Um, they get to redo their practice facility, uh, which is not really up to par in the NFL. Um, they get to do a lot of things because they know they're staying, and um, you know, I'm happy for them. I think I really think they deserve it. Uh, obviously, the big story kind of surrounding the Vikings this year is going to be the health of Adrian Peterson, and there was a report last week that. Peterson and Harvin were kind of racing up a hill, and although yep, Harvin, I was there for that actually, yeah, and although Harvin had won most of them, there was a time or two that Peterson beat him to the top. Peterson's an absolute freak, and we know that. And if anyone can come back from an injury like he suffered at the time when he suffered it late in the season, it would be him. What what sense do you get about Peterson and kind of where he's at and where he could be at the start of the season? Well, you know, I thought he looked really good. He's definitely a beast, and we know that. But if you want to talk specifics and timing, um, so I covered Wes Welker when he tore his ACL two years ago, and he did it in January. He had to wait a month for the swelling to go down, um, you know, before he could actually have surgery. So he actually had surgery in February. Well, Peterson had surgery. You know, he injured it in late December, but he had surgery almost right away. Yeah, New Year's, right? So let's say it took... Yeah, so let's say it took Welker a month and a half into the season to really look like himself. Well, Peterson had surgery about a month and a half before Welker did comparatively. So I really think it's possible we could see him, one, during week one, 
And two, be his old self pretty quickly. You know, it takes mm-hmm. normal people really two full years, let's say a year and a half, to be regular. Peterson's not normal. So I think that situation, you know, I think he could be ready and he could be okay. You know, which is good for the Vikings. Tell us about what it's like to watch two athletes like Adrian Peterson and Percy Harvin race up a hill. Uh, it was actually fun. Um, you know, it's funny because it, we didn't plan it. Nobody planned it. Everyone was kind of watching practice. And then you see them do one rep, and you're like, oh, they're racing. And then they just kept going at it. And, you know, you could see by the end that they each just had that extra gear. And, um, you know, Harvin dove for the fence so he would win one time. You know, it, it, you wonder what separates some of these athletes from some of us regular people in that insane competitiveness is, is definitely one of the things. And, man, those guys really showed it. What about Ponder? Where do you where do you see him at? I mean, he showed some flashes last year. He had some really good moments, and of course, he made some mistakes like a young quarterback would. But where where do you think he's kind of at in terms of his, his maturity? Um, you know, I, I think he's got the tools. Uh, he looks like a quarterback. Um, you know, and and one thing that Rick Spielman, the GM, was telling me was that they did some in depth analysis on Ponder's numbers and you know when he came in his rookie year and compared to some of the other guys who relieved, like compared to Eli Manning and, um, you know, Philip Rivers and some of the other guys as rookies. And he actually compares fair, uh, compares favorably. Hmm. So, you know, they're pretty optimistic. They're trying to build a talent around him and just sort of let everyone grow together. You know, I don't know if it's going to work, but I like the plan. Um, and so I, I think, you know, Ponder could have a pretty good future. You know, you spent some time uh, in the last month in New Orleans and you – you wrote something that would probably scare any Saints fan. Um, in the wake of Gronkowski getting the record deal that he got from the Patriots, you wrote about how Jimmy Graham could be next, and that's a scary thing for Saints fans who right now are just trying to get through this Drew Brees thing and, and hope that he ends up signed and happy and in camp, and, and now Graham is due. Uh, what, do you, what kind of sense do you get spending a little bit of time around the team? Do you think that with Brees it's just they haven't, needed to work, you know, there's no pressure to get it done with July 15th kind of being the deadline, or do you think they're really far apart? Do you get any sense there? Well, you know, the problem with negotiations is we all want to give a play-by-play of it, and I'm as guilty as anyone. But, the real, you know, the two things we need to realize is, one, there's no story now except he signs or he didn't sign. Um, you know, that's really the only thing that matters, any play-by-play, any contract offer, you know, of course they're going to offer a contract. It's negotiations. That's what you do. Um, you know, I, but I, I don't, I don't really see any of this mattering until it really gets down to it, until it's July 16th, until they're at a deadline, until the Saints really face the possibility of not having him, um, this year. And then, you know, maybe then they'll be motivated to, to close the gap. Um, you know, I think it's going to get done. It's crazy to uh, assume it won't, but, um, I, I know Breeze is serious too, and, you know, I think the Saints bet it would be wise to not underestimate his feelings. You know, uh, the, the Saints, Peter King told us, this is kind of weird, but Peter King told us that someone told them that if any of the Saints ended up getting suspended because of the bounty, that they thought that the team would have the ultimate us-against-them attitude that could carry them through this season. Spending some time around them after the suspensions have been handed out and while they play out the 
the appeal process, do you get the, the sense that the team is starting to create this us-against-the-world mentality that could help them despite everything that's gone against them this off season? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, I know the Saints got weakened by this. You, know, you lose Velma, um, you lose Will Smith and, and whatever else. But I think it's possible in the end, assuming they get Breeze back, that it could make them stronger. I mean, this is the ultimate attitude team. Um, you know, and I think that's one reason why Greg Williams was successful with them because he could prey on their psyche. You know, he could, he could whip them into a frenzy and, um, you know, that's the way it looked on the field. Um, I don't think this team cares about anyone else. I don't think they, you know, they care about the bounties because it hurt them with players. I don't think they care about their reputation, uh, or what anyone thinks. Um, you know, I think that they're fine binding together and, kind of using this to help them win games and you know we'll see if it works but you know i think the attitude has been interesting to watch because um they're going to come out firing they really are all right last thing uh you tweeted yesterday uh that despite some rumors uh, mike jenkins of the cowboys did report uh to their workouts and you also wrote a little bit about something i've been thinking and that's with the cowboys bringing in brandon carr and morris claiborne it seems like jenkins the odd man out but you say otherwise correct uh, I'm sorry, I lost you on that last part. Say that again, please. Uh, no, just that uh, in Dallas, you, you know, with them bringing in Brandon Carr and Morris Claiborne, it kind of felt like Jenkins would be the odd man out there, but you wrote that they have plans otherwise, correct? Well, you know, that's that's what they're saying. Um, you know, I think they could use four corners. Um, you know, they, they say they don't want to trade him. I still believe in the end, um, you know, if he's healthy and if he can play, that, you know, I, I think someone is going to offer enough to where it's worth it for them to trade him. Um, but, you know, they learned last year you can never have too many corners. So, you know, it's a passing league. Everyone's got three really good receivers. So, you know, maybe they use four corners in a safety, give up a little bit, stop in the run, um, and try to make it work. Get a lot of speed on the field. And, you know, in the end, you know, Jenkins is a professional, and if he's on the field, he'll play. Still a good player. Um, so I think they can make it work. All right, uh, the sportscasters finishing up here with Ian. You can find him on Twitter. He's at RapSheet, a great follow there, lots of good information, and, of course, NFL.com and stuff he does for NFL Network. Uh, just to say goodbye, anything we can look forward, anything you're working on in the next couple of days here that we can kind of look forward to reading? Um, well, just uh, you know, just check out the RapSheet on NFL.com, and uh, you'll get all sorts of stuff. And I appreciate the time, guys. Thank you very much. All right, I want to thank Ian Rappaport for joining us. Again, you can find his work on Twitter at RapSheet. You can also find him on NFL.com. Uh, I think the blog is called RapSheet as well. And, of course, you can see him on their flagship show, which is uh, Total Access. Which yep. airs pretty much every day, I believe. What do you think of – have you seen Andrew Siciliano's work on Total Access? You know, because Rich Eisen really doesn't do that show anymore. Have you seen it since they've tried? I haven't seen it. I, I know Andrew Siciliano. Doesn't he do? Uh, he did the. He, I don't know if he's still going to do it or not, but DirecTV's version of the Red Zone. Right, right. Um, and he's pretty good on Total Access. And Total Access, they have a lot of access. You know, being the NFL Network, and right. they, they always have great interviews and stuff. So it's 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 an interesting show. They don't need our plug though. <laughs> no, they don't. Let's worry about plugging ourselves uh, again. If there's anything you want to say to us about what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to see in the future. 
Don't be afraid to email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, we're at sports underscore casters. And, of course, Football Nation is at FBall Nation on Twitter. Don't forget our other podcast. We call it Sportscasters Proper occasionally. We're up to Season 2, Episode 23, which is a ton. Uh, and this week we have a great show. We have interviews with S.L. Price, one of the great journalists in the history of sports journalism, talking about a cover story he did on Josh Hamilton for Sports Illustrated. And we also get into this kind of impromptu Twitter discussion I thought was really interesting. Also, we have Lee Jenkins, who is a good friend to the show, and he did an interview with us live from Oklahoma City, kind of waiting around in his hotel room for Game 1 of the NBA Finals. And then we had Michael Woods, who is the editor of thesweetscience.com and a member of the Boxing Writers Association of America, the board there. Yep. And he kind of fills in a bunch of gaps on what was a wild fight the other night between Pacquiao and Bradley. I watched it, was bored to tears by what I thought was a real workmanlike effort by Pacquiao. I thought he killed the guy and uh, in, in a real kind of subtle way. And I guess that cost him the fight. Obviously, you know, by now Bradley won. So really interesting discussion about Woods with that. You can find that podcast at www.sports-casters.com and on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Uh, but we're going to end the show today like we do most shows, looking at www.footballnation.com and what we're reading on the site. There's so much great so much great writing on the site and a lot of different stuff. I like to read. Don, why don't you kick us off what you're reading on Football Nation this week? All right. One of the articles uh, was posted on June 10th, still on the front page, though, written by Timothy Krause. He gives his side of the argument for why cold-weather cities should deserve to host a Super Bowl. So, I mean, you could agree or disagree. Does he say that there really needs to be a Super Bowl in Buffalo at Ralph Wilson Stadium? I don't. That's where I was going to kind of criticize him is Buffalo, If you once you get past chicken wings or maybe even before <laughs> chicken wings, everyone's like, oh, is it snowing there? Like that's the first thing people go to. Buffalo is not mentioned in the article. He specifically mentions Chicago, Green Bay, Pittsburgh, and Foxborough. So maybe teams with a little bit more uh, – Success. Well, all those cities. Kansas City. Kansas City hasn't been good. In- all those cities are much bigger than us. But the Kansas yeah, City isn't. No. But uh, they also have newer stadiums. That's true. You know, well, um, the Bills have the absolute worst stadium in the league. They've 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 got to get a new stadium. You know, maybe if they built a beautiful, you know, one billion dollar stadium on the waterfront here in, in the city. They'd still need to total. I mean, they still have to build probably thirty-five hotels to ever be able to pull it <laughs> off. But right, so it's never going to happen. I was just kind of making a joke, but it's interesting to think about realistic cities because, I mean, New York is going to host a cold weather city in two years, right? It's New Orleans this year and New York the following year. Sure. So where does that go from there? Now, there's been Super Bowls in cold weather cities. The Bills played one in Minnesota. There's been a couple in Detroit. Indianapolis isn't exactly warm in the winter, but those are domes. Domes, right. New York isn't, so that's where it's going to get different. Yeah, I'm not sure. I've, I've never really thought about it a lot, which is surprising coming from a team that plays in the elements. But I'd love to see one in Chicago. I think Soldier Field is a real kind of classic piece of football real estate in the way that Fenway Park and Wrigley Field are for baseball. But that said... But they redid it. You know, it's remodeled. It's new. And you're you're a fan of one of the best modern quarterbacks in the league and Drew Brees. Do you really want to see 
Do you want to see him have a clunker of a game because it's snowing? I'm not saying necessarily he would. Well, no, I mean, the Saints maybe missed out a chance to play for a Super Bowl because they had to play an NFC Championship game in Chicago, and the weather was miserable, and the team didn't play as well that day as they had all season. So, so I mean, that's the argument That's the argument for I, mean, I, I guess get, the thing is, it's it, it, look at Peyton Manning almost got ruined in Miami because it rained all day. Right. You know, so just because you're in a, a – and, I mean, Dallas hosted one, right? Remember the Thanksgiving game with Leon Lett in oh, the yeah, snow yeah. in Dallas? I well, mean, that's Timothy Krause's, the author's argument, is that you play them in the regular season that way. If teams are going to benefit from it, like Pittsburgh, like a Chicago, then why should they lose that benefit come the playoffs? And I, it's I, one I'm of not the, sure where I stand in that. It's one of the great things about football, I think, is the way the elements play into things i mean sure you think about hockey and the success that they're having with the winter classic and the one that was in buffalo and how beautiful that awesome. looked on yeah. tv with the, the snow that was falling and almost had this kind of snow globe effect yeah but then you, you think about some of the games that are remembered in football folklore for the elements you know you think about the uh tuck game and the, oh, right. the weather that day yep. in new england or you think about the the ice bowl you know in the in the early stages of the league and you wonder if you would run into a situation where you know a Super Bowl would have to be played you know and you you can't see the lines on the field because there's so <laughs> much snow is yeah. that what you really want and the flip side of those those exciting games though that have happened is there was a Bills Cleveland game a few years back and I don't remember if it snowed or if it was just terribly windy but it was like a 6 to 3 absolutely terrible game and I know those are terrible teams at the time so maybe that plays more into it maybe good teams would Put on a good show. No and remember, Arizona play. came to New England a few years ago and got absolutely thrashed by the Patriots in a snow game. Might have even been the game that Wes Welker tore his ACL. Oh, I know it was late in the year, the second, and it yeah. was really snowy, and New England put a beat down. So that's the one thing about doing it that way is sometimes teams are built in a way to take advantage of the situation where they play. You know, the Saints build a team to play in a dome. The Patriots build a team to play in rough weather in December. So maybe there's some kind of disadvantage there where everyone maybe is on a more even playing field when it's just, you know, room temperature in the Superdome or something. Well, it's an interesting conversation either way, and there's some comments already on the article, so go there check it out. All right, my article is by a fellow Buffalo native, Joshua Bauer. Uh, He's actually in Gainesville now, but uh, his story is dated today, June 12th. And it's about Aaron Hernandez and how he's still waiting for his love for New England. It's interesting. You always think about Gronkowski now and the success that he's had there. But the year before, when Hernandez and Gronkowski were both rookies, I think a lot of people might have thought that Hernandez was a better player. Sure. Hernandez certainly had the better career in college. Uh, being a Florida Gator and winning a national championship, and he was overshadowed playing well last in the year, national championship game. But I believe fantasy wise, he was the third best receiver or third behind best the big two end behind. Yes, I mean he he's far from uh, from a bum or anything. He's not a bust. I wouldn't say they just have a real interesting dynamic there. Yeah, he's shorter. He's six foot one. You know, much Gron- thinner. Gronkowski to- towers on him. He, he lists 6'1", 245. Gronkowski is 6'6", 265. So definitely physically there's a difference there. But yeah. I think the Patriots have plans to use both of them. Oh, yeah. But if you're Hernandez, you can't have expectations to get paid like Gronkowski does. No, not yet. You know, if that's his expectation, 
It's crazy. It's yeah, and it's gonna be rough for him. But he's young. He's got he's got time to prove it. You know, and, and he's uh, also a guy who fell in the draft into the fourth round, as as the author makes well mentioned because of some failed marijuana tests. He's still shaking that. Uh, but yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see where this plays out for New England because now they've paid one. So what do you do with the other one? Well, that they're a unique team in that most of the time, if you hear like oh the the backup tight end or whatever. He's not. He's like the third receiver on that team. He's either your second receiver, or your second tight end. Because behind Wes Welker, they're kind of thin at receiver. They're a team that features a lot of two tight end sets. So he just has to be patient. He'll get his. All right. So that's the show for today. I want to thank Ian Rappaport for being on the show. Look forward to next week. We're going to switch gears for the next couple of weeks and yeah, talk fantasy, fantasy football. We're looking forward to that. Michael Fabiano is one of the best in the business. Can't wait to have him on the show to talk fantasy. So we look forward to that next week. Thanks for listening today, and let's go to California. Spend my days with a 